Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Good morning. Our passage today comes from Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. Listen for what God is saying to you. Love should be shown without pretending. Hate evil and hold on to what is good. Love each other like the members of your family. Be the best at showing honor to each other. Don't hesitate to be enthusiastic. Be on fire in the spirit as you serve the Lord. Be happy in your hope. Stand your ground when you're in trouble. And devote yourselves to prayer. Contribute to the needs of God's people. And welcome strangers into your home. Bless people who harass you. Bless and don't curse them. Be happy with those who are happy and cry with those who are crying. Consider everyone as equal and do not think that you're better than anyone else. Instead, associate with people who have no status. Don't think that you're so smart. Don't pay back anyone for their evil actions with evil actions, but show respect for what everyone else believes is good. If possible, to the best of your ability, leave at peace with all people. Don't try to get revenge for yourselves, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. It is written, revenge belongs to me. I will pay it back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. By doing this, you you will pile burning coals of fire upon his head. Don't be defeated by evil, but defeat evil with good. May God a blessing to the hearing and understanding of this scripture. Let's come together in a word of prayer. God, we thank you that for the gift of this morning, um, certainly for the beauty of this morning, but also the gift that it is to take time out of our week and in our lives to meditate on who it is that you are within us, what it is that you're doing around us. Um, and so we ask that at this moment you would meet us here, that you would help us to receive uh, what it is that your spirit has to say to us, and that we might leave this space just a little bit more whole, a little bit more hopeful, and a little bit more authentic um, to who it is that you've created us to be and what it is that you've called us to do. We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So uh, several years ago, I was having a conversation with my family on the phone, and they were telling me how they had um, gone to Seattle to hang out for the day. Uh, I am from Washington State. They lived about 45 minutes south of there, south of Seattle. And so they were hanging out in a part of the city called Pioneer Square. Um, it's just south of the main downtown area. And at the time, this is like several years ago, um, it was kind of sketchy. Um, it was where most of the nightclubs were located. And um, during the day, even though there were businesses and professional people who walked around, um, it was always a little bit dirty, um, and there was a pretty high um, homeless population, and like people who had been homeless for a really, really long time. Um, it kind of smelled unclean, people behaved strangely, and while it wasn't scary, it didn't feel exactly safe. So my family was taking a walk in that area after having dinner, and um, apparently there was an older woman um, who appeared to be homeless. Um, she was at least she was unwashed and unsober, and she started to follow them around, shouting things at them. Um, and so, you know, everyone was kind of feeling a little uncomfortable and probably walking a little bit faster um, to get out of there. But then something kind of strange happened. Uh, my dad turned around and faced this woman and walked directly to her, 
gave her a big hug, and then grabbed her face and kissed her on the lips. And, um, I mean, that's kind of a shocking thing to do, right? <laughs> and I guess this woman was also shocked. Um, her eyes got really wide, they were telling me, and she got really quiet for a second. And then she just started laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing and just walked away. And I asked my dad, like, why did you do that? What made you think to do that? And he kind of just shrugged his shoulders and he said, I don't know, it just sort of seemed like she needed it. Um, and that was it. And I was like, okay. This is also very un uncharacteristic of him. Um, so anyway, a few days ago, I heard this term, non-complementary behavior. And it perfectly encapsulated like what my dad had done. I, I, it, and that story immediately came to my head when I heard it. So people naturally mirror each other, and this is complementarity. And when some, so when someone is hostile to you, you're typically hostile back. If you're warm to them, you know, uh, they're warm to you. Dominance begets sub submission and vice versa. Complementarity is nice and easy and, and fairly predictable, right? It, it can build alliances because you feel like you resonate with someone. Um, it can help people feel comfortable. Well, breaking that pattern, say giving a big old kiss on the lips to a stranger who's been shouting at you as they've been following you around, um, that's non-complementary behavior. And it flips the script on how we've been trained to act. And according to researchers, it's really, really hard to do, actually, to work against that sort of instinct that you have. But the thing is that non-complementary behavior is actually linked to change, to behavioral change. Um, it's not always a good idea to do it, right? But in the right circumstances, it can result in dramatic transformations of the spirit. And so that's partly why Jesus and the movement he started so long ago reverberated so powerfully throughout the Roman Empire um, and through, across space and time the way that it did, right? His behavior was so consistently, powerfully, and positively non-complementary that people were constantly having their lives changed as a result. He moved toward the people in pain, right? It was a behavior of, that was so rooted in love and completeness that everyone who was touched by it experienced a dramatic internal transformation. It was so radical that Jesus described it to another Jewish rabbi as being born again. And it was this reborn life that all these folks in the Roman church um, were trying to figure out how to live after the newness of it had worn off. Up until this point in the letter, the Apostle Paul has kind of been laying this foundation to help people understand how they're part of this long and rich relationship with God, um, that God had with Israel, how Jesus had flipped the script through non-complementary behavior on both sides with the Rome and with, his own, with Rome and with his own people, which so pissed everyone off that had any kind of power that folk chose to free a known criminal over him. And now because of Jesus' radical script flipping, everyone gets to be part of this ancient promise that God made between Abraham and God's self in a really expansive way. Jesus is like Oprah, right? You get a promise, and you get a promise, you get a promise, everybody gets a promise, right? So up until this point in his letter to the Roman church, Paul has been taking this time to lay all of this out, right? And here at chapter 12, he's like, so... Since you know all of this, what you going to do? Hmm? Because this is where the handoff is, right? You got the promise. Jesus is somewhere else now. Put that non-complementary love into action. 
And as it turns out, Paul is saying the script flipping doesn't end with Jesus, right? It continues in us. And in this passage, Jesus, uh, Paul gets pretty explicit about what he means when he talks about what they're supposed to do. And in order to kind of unpack that a little bit more, I have to talk about Harold's. Um, when I first walked into Harold's Chicken Shack and Pizza on 53rd, which, by the way, does not sell pizza, uh, for me, it was kind of like a visual assault, right? So you go in and you just, like, if you just sit for a few minutes and observe, you'll see that um, you make your order through a thick plexiglass window and you pay for your order by placing your money on a little, like, turnstile and then it turns around, they get the money out, they make the change, and then they, you know, turn it back, right? Then you get back and you wait for your order to be called. And while you're waiting, you might notice all these signs, right? Everywhere, there are signs. And you might think, wow, that's a lot of signs. At first, I thought, this is excessive, right? Why do they have to put up so many signs? On every door, it says, do not block the door. Um, and then it hit me. These signs are there because these signs are necessary, right? There's a story behind each of these signs. People blocking the doors, people paying for food with credit cards that are not their own, non-customers asking to use the restroom or loitering or coming in to sell stuff, some oils or something, people trying to get discounts after the fact, right? The signs are everywhere, and they are very explicit. Well, so Paul is explicitly laying out this list of do's and don'ts, and here's what I think. I think it's not just a random list. I think there's a story behind each one of these signs. There are stories of individuals that have struggled to stay in relationship with each other in spite of one another and because of God's love. People who were pretending to care about each other. You know, bless your heart. <laughs> People who were hating the bad stuff but getting so fixated on it that they forgot that there were also good things happening. You know people like that? People who were choosing snark over vulnerability. People who are not trying that hard for one another because, you know, you can't fire a volunteer. People who are choosing to stay committed um, when things, chief uh, people who are choosing not to stay committed when things got tough, right? They just would run away at any moment of conflict or discomfort in their life or in the life of the community. And so Paul is specific, as it turns out, because people were having a hard time living into this alternative way of life of doing being a Christian. And so you have this list, and maybe it feels really obvious and like basic, right? But as it turns out, it was and still is pretty uncomfortable or personally compromising, um, at least when it comes to your pride, to try to live out your faith um, in community. But doing these things, committing yourself to the ongoing challenges of living in community and embodying your faith, this is what adulting faith looks like. Um, choosing not to think like a child to say, I'm not going to live in that space anymore. So in a few minutes, we'll be uh, welcoming some new members to UVC, and one of the things that I say when I talk about membership um, is this. Uh, you don't get any more benefits than if you were not a member, actually. What you're saying by becoming a member is this. I choose to stay. I choose to fight for this community and to grow this community deep and wide because I see God doing something in me and through me because of these people. I will make every effort to contribute my time, my money, and my gifts, all three, not one of the three, to make the something bigger that God is doing here even more life-giving and more purposeful that it would be without my presence. 
And in that commitment, there's a promise, right, to stick it out, a promise to stay and be challenged for the better, to be loved in the easy and the hard ways, to call out the best in one another, and sometimes to have the best called out in you in spite of yourself, right? Most churches have more members in the books than they have people attending, but for UBC, it's the other way around. Because who wants to be part of something that will ask more than it will give? But of course, it doesn't exactly turn out that way, right? Since God's math always works out somehow where there are more loaves and fishes than when you started with. But it's a journey that doesn't promise comfort as much as community, strength as much as courage, knowledge even as much as wisdom. It's a journey that over and over again pushes you, pushes us, toward embodying a kind of life-giving, non-complementary behavior. So I mentioned earlier um, during the announcements that we'll be doing this outreach on Friday uh, through offering a blessing of iPhones um, at the different Apple stores, uh, Lincoln Park and and downtown. And yes, doesn't that sound strange? (laughs) Even maybe somehow antithetical to who we say we are at UBC. That's what we've heard from some really confused and alarmed people on Facebook and even in a few private messages. You can go and look at the Facebook page. It's on our... It's on our UVC page, right? It feels wrong, right, somehow to show up where people are lined up to drop some serious Benjamins on a gadget, right? A gadget that probably wasn't even ethically made. Totally. I, yeah. What about all the harmful ways that these things are manufactured, right? Does, does blessing iPhones mean that we are endorsing um, that kind of behavior or reaching out um, to a certain moneyed demographic? Does it mean that we love iPhones more than Androids? (laughs) You can see how much of, like I said, how much of it played out on our Facebook page, and if you really want to kind of get into the drama. These are good and uncomfortable questions, actually. They're good and uncomfortable questions that sometimes kind of felt a little bit unfair, but gave folks an opportunity, actually, to go back and forth about this, right? And you can see that, too, to be challenged for the better. And I could tell you about how there's a long history in the Christian tradition of blessing um, those things that play a big role in our lives. Tools for work, like farming equipment, um, even houses and cars, uh, communities or families where, you know, a house is a really, really big purchase. They've never had that kind of money before. They want to have that place blessed, right? Or a brand new car, never had a brand new car before, and they want that blessed, So, yeah, there's this kind of long tradition. And in a way, like, this is a continuation of that tradition. But there's something more. And I kind of shared this a little earlier. If you've ever thought about the role that your phone plays in your life, from composing important emails to taking photos of important moments of your life to conversations with friends or family where you have maybe had to talk them down from the edge, prayed with one another over the phone, lifted each other up, found out that someone was going through something on Facebook and reached out to them. And maybe your phone has also, in addition to those things, been a source of anxiety for you, right? A constant sort of tugging on your attention with every little ding that it makes or tweet or whatever, right? Making you feel like you need to take this selfie at this angle, right, to post on your account to keep up whatever image that you have for this world that you've created, right? And, and we thought, wow, you know, we need to do a blessing of phones in worship, right? We need to bless phones in worship, which is what we're doing next week. 
And because we're a church that also looks outward, right, that believes that what we have here is so good that we can't keep it in, right, and believes that this message and the heart of the gospel of Jesus is one, um, and a message of reconciliation and invitation for everyone to experience wholeness of life, because we're a church that wants this city to know this, we thought, how can we build greater awareness, greater mindfulness about how people use their phones? How can we be a witness, right, in a modern, in a relevant way, not just for our betterment, but as a witness for the world. And so when we heard about this launch of the iPhone, newest iPhone, we thought, here is a place to do it, right? A non-complementary opportunity to pray with people and share this sticker that maybe, if they so dare, can put on their phones, right, to remind them to be mindful about the purpose and the role that this, their phone can play in their lives. Don't worry, we will have them next week for you as well. If you're like... Um, as the questions were being asked and the responses were being hashed out both online and offline, not everyone came away satisfied, right? But it did serve to remind us that as followers of Jesus, we are called to those places where folk have forgotten what life is for, whether it's on the corner of Huron and Michigan, or if it's at a table outside of an Oktoberfest, making buttons and conversation with people, or hosting a town hall meeting, right, for independent police accountability, it's strange and challenging and maybe non-complementary depending on who you ask, right? And sometimes we're off base. Like, we don't have it right all the time, right? Which is why we talk it out, why we hash it out. Not to win the argument, but to challenge each other for the better. This is what it means to be a community of commitment, to be iron that sharpens iron, to struggle together for a more authentic witness for God's love with one another and with the world. And to love each other throughout that, whether you turned out to be right or wrong, to come together in love and say, let's do this. Let's keep going. Let's keep at it, right? A significant part of adulting faith is about the commitment that we make to each other to be challenged and try something that sometimes maybe feels strange but orients us toward wholeness right? All of the whatever terrible emotional patterns that you picked up in your family, right? To try something different that's more whole, more real, more true, more connecting. To get toward that place of wholeness. Whether it's through humbly engaging in faithful, loving, challenging conversation with each other on Facebook or off, or through simply choosing to show up where you are so ready to leave and walk away. This commitment is at the heart of what Paul is talking about in our passage today. To keep trying. Keep pushing for goodness and wholeness in one another and in this world to the best of our ability. And then leave the rest up to God. It's not especially sexy and it's not always fun, but what we're doing is contributing to a much larger tapestry of life and hope and truth that God is weaving together. And it couldn't be complete without you. Let's pray. God, we thank you we thank you for the gift of community, even if sometimes it feels a little bit irritating to us. We thank you that you have created a new way of being and doing together that isn't about ultimatums or pride or being right or just never being wrong, but that it's for something much bigger, that we can be a community of grace, of love, of hope, of forgiveness and possibility. Help us to be that. Help us as individuals to make that commitment 
even when it feels uncomfortable, and help us as a community to hold that space for one another, especially when it gets tough. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.